Well, happy Easter, everyone. How you doing? It's good to have you guys with us today for Resurrection Sunday. I am excited. And if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 23, 44. That's Luke 23, 44. Uh, well, the year was 1991. I was 10 years old. And the NC State Wolfpack were ranked 10th in the nation. And my dad and I went to the NC State Marshall game. And we were so excited for this game. But with three minutes left, time was ticking and guess what? We were down 14 to 3. So if your team is down and you're at a big football game with thousands of people, what do you do if you don't think you're going to win? Do I know? You leave. Why do you leave? Because traffic is horrendous. So my dad, being the smart guy that he is and the planner, he said, all right, we're going to leave the game. So we're, we go up the, you know, out the stands, we get in the car and we're leaving and he turns the radio on. And we're stuck in traffic trying to get out. Everybody has the same idea, too. And, uh, and I was like, Dad, I wish we would have stayed. Maybe they could have won. He's like, there's no way they're going to win this game. And so <laughs> we hear on the radio, the announcer says, uh, the Wolfpack now just scores a touchdown with one minute left. And I'm like, we hear the crowd cheering. I'm like, Dad, they scored. He's like, well, son, they still got to get the onside kick. They have no timeouts left. And you know, they had not done anything all game. He's just like Mr. Pessimistic. And so we're we're sitting there, we hear a cheer, because you know, it's going to happen first before the radio gets it to us. We hear, <sighs> and we hear, the Wolfpack have recovered the onside kick. I was like, Dad, they've recovered the onside kick. He was like, oh, this, and he was just, you tell he's getting really upset because he shouldn't have left the game. And then he's like, well, I don't think they're going to score. And all of a sudden, it's like, we hear the, <sighs> I mean, things going crazy. It's like, the Wolfpack scored a touchdown with six seconds left. It's a miracle comeback, the greatest comeback in Wolfpack history. And, and we're sitting in a car the whole time. And my dad was just, he wasn't even cheering. He was so upset with that. We packed up. We were out of there. And you're wondering, what does this have to do with Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday? Here's what it has to do with that. That's what we do so many times in our life as followers of Jesus whenever we don't have things go our way or we think we're going to lose, right? When something, uh, when, when something comes against us, we face a tough time in our life, we usually pack up and get out of the stadium. We usually walk away from the Lord, walk away from our faith when things get really difficult. And if you've done that, if you're like me and I've done that before, you're not in bad company. There were a group of guys called the disciples who did the same thing. Matter of fact, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, and we're all excited about it, and we're happy. But I think the thing that we have to do is try to remove ourselves from Americanized, Westernized Christianity. And if you want to really soak in the power of the resurrection, you've got to bring yourself into what happened to these disciples during Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection. For them, they didn't know that Jesus was coming to down a cross and rise again to be the spiritual Messiah, to reconnect us with our Heavenly Father through His sacrifice. That's not what they expected or wanted. According to their law and the prophets, the Torah, we call the Old Testament, He was going to be, that Messiah was going to be a king, a political leader, who in the first century was going to crush Rome. Like, He's coming to take Rome down. A line of the king of David, right? A dynasty of the king of David. And so they were following this guy, believing wholeheartedly that that's what he was going to do. And so for them, the crucifixion and the burial was something that was dark for them. It was a tough time for them. And I want you to look at Luke 23, 44, as Luke writes this. Let me say this before we jump into it. If you're skeptical of Christianity, or you wonder if the Bible's real, or, man, I wonder if I can trust it. I love that this is Luke's gospel. 
Number one, Luke was the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament that we know of, all the other writers are Jews. Number two, Luke didn't walk with Jesus. He was a doctor in the first century who researched everything and wrote it to a friend. The Gospel of Luke was written to a friend named Theophilus. And what he was saying was, hey, Theophilus, if, if you're wondering if this is real, if you're wondering if Jesus was real, I have put together this research document, this historical research document, to prove to you all that Jesus did. And so Luke writes from a place of research and history and facts. Matter of fact, next week we're starting a new series in the book of Acts, 16 weeks going through the book of Acts. What is that? That is what happens from the moment Jesus ascends to heaven for 30 more years of the early church. And so Luke writes this down to a friend named Theophilus. And so if you're wondering, is this real? Yes, this is history. This is not a fairy tale. And here's what he writes about it. He says, by this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. This is Jesus on the cross. Could you imagine that? Standing there. And all of a sudden, everything goes dark. And it says, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good man and a righteous man named Joseph. Now pause for a second so you realize what's happening here. Luke in, uh, records this and shows us. The Gospel of John shows us that Joseph and a man named Nicodemus were friends. They were part of the Jewish religious high council, the very leaders who wanted Jesus killed. But they, they weren't for it. Remember in John 3, Nicodemus came and talked with Jesus at night, wanted to know about salvation and, and the Messiah and being born again. And he's Well, Joseph was friends with him. And what's interesting here that Luke records this is that we don't have any records that Joseph ever publicly followed Jesus while he was on earth. But Jesus' life made such an impact on this Jewish religious leader who all his friends were against him that he does something pretty remarkable. Look at that here. It says, he was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. Most scholars believe, because in that day and time you had family tombs, most believe here that was probably Joseph's tomb that he had bought for himself, that he gave for Jesus to be buried in. Because Jesus made such an impact in his life. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparations, the Sabbath was about to begin because Jews from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday had the Sabbath where they rest from all work and they wanted to make sure that Jesus' body was put away. Now what you have to realize here for them, this was their darkest moment because their friend and their rabbi was now dead. They were not expecting a resurrection. They were not expecting him to come back to life. They weren't expecting, a, they weren't expecting anything. They thought it was over. Peter went back to fishing. Most of them were, were huddled up, mourning together as Jews did. It was that time, it was the darkest time of their life. 
And I think if we could sit with them as we know the rest of the story, right? If we could sit down with the disciples in that place and they're all crying in the morning and Peter wants to go back to go fishing, they feel like it was a sham. Why did this happen to us? We followed this guy thinking he was Messiah. I think if we could have sat down with them, we would have told them something that we know about their story. And I want you to know about your story is this. In the times it seems like darkness is winning, realize that it's only God's beginning. It seemed like darkness had won. It seemed like Satan had won. Everything was over. But we could have sat with him and said, hey, hey, you probably don't know this, but you're going to lead the greatest movement in the history of the world in a matter of a few months. And they would have thought we're crazy. They never would have thought the death of Jesus would have been the very thing that would be the catalyst for the resurrection that would have them to lead the greatest movement ever. And that's exactly what happened. And what happens next is Luke records the resurrection of Jesus. And I like what happens here because you have to realize something about the Bible. There's a few things I always talk about. Maybe you're not here with us all the time. Number one, you read Scripture. If the Bible, if, if I would have written the Bible, I would have left a bunch of stuff out. I would have left out all these guys in the Old Testament who screwed up so much. <laughs> I mean, it's full of guys who just screwed up all the time. Like other religious books realize that their religious people all do everything right. Read the Old Testament. I don't have time to get into it, but there are some major, major faux pas there, right? Just messing up all the time. The other thing that's really interesting here, when you look at the resurrection of Jesus, if the writers were trying to fool you, they would have embellished the resurrection. They would have talked about what had happened behind the empty tomb, even though they weren't there. They were talking about how Jesus' body, you know, transformed and, and what God did to try to make it seem magical and powerful. The, but they, they don't do that, especially Luke. He sticks to the facts. We don't know exactly how it happened in the tomb. We just have the evidence of it, and that's what they point to is the evidence. In Luke 24, he shows this. Uh, it says, but very early on Sunday morning, when the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, Paul, I want you to go, we'll come back to the point that, that they were women. This is very important. And they would bring spices because after a few days, the body would start stinking. They didn't have the embalming uh, things that we have now. It says, they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. It would have taken eight to ten very strong men to do that. It wasn't a teenage joke, right? They didn't sneak out at night and roll away Jesus' uh, uh, stone there, as I would have done as I was a teenager, do something crazy. It says, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes we know to be angels. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day day. Now, really quick before I get to the resurrection, something very important happened there. In the first century, women were seen as second-class citizens, never to be equal with men. A whole second species, you could even say, in the, in the Roman Greco empire. Isn't it amazing that the first people to experience the resurrection of Jesus, and they went back and told the disciples who were men, were women? See, you're told that Christianity is an oppressive religion that just holds people back. But actually, it was the first ever to elevate women, and Jesus did that through the resurrection. Isn't that powerful? And so what happened is, 
When they first experienced the resurrection, though, they didn't go, hallelujah, he's risen. We knew it. Oh, let's just have church. They didn't say, oh, well, they had to say, remember what he said? Because they had forgotten. When they experienced this, there was confusion. Like, like, where is Jesus? Okay, if he's not here, does somebody still, okay, he's alive, so where did he go? What happened? There's a lot of unanswered questions. But what they had to understand at that point was is that God did something that they did not expect, that God still had one more trick up his sleeve, that he wasn't done, even though they were confused about what had happened. And what I want to do today on Easter Sunday is not just talk about the historical fact of the resurrection, which it is. It's the greatest event in human history. But I want to talk to you about how the resurrection impacts our lives daily. And especially when you face seasons and times when everything comes against you, when you feel like darkness has surrounded you, when you feel like you're experiencing exactly what they experienced. You had hope in something and your hope was dashed. You thought that job would be the job. You thought that person would be the person. You thought your child would have taken a different path in life and they didn't. You had hopes and dreams and expectations just like the disciples had. And then you're met with a cross. You're met with a tomb. And you feel like death and Satan has won. I want to help you today to understand how do I have faith and hope in those types of situations. And as I thought about you know, the resurrection and this message, I thought about a very famous painting from Frederick Reich. And he, he painted this in 1864. And it's in the Leray Museum where it was in Paris, France. It was beside, this painting here, it'll come on the screen here, it was beside paintings like the Mona Lisa. Amazing painting. And what the title of the painting is, it's called Checkmate. This painting shows Satan, who is playing chess with a man for his soul. It's kind of like the old, you know, a devil went down to Georgia song, right? You know, like to do the violin, but it's like in a chess. Like, it's not the southern version of it. <laughs> but what you see here is interesting is that Satan wants the man to know that he's defeated, and the man thinks he's defeated. And Satan is telling him, checkmate. The angel's looking like, hey, I know something that he doesn't know. I hope he notices it. So here's what happened in that museum. A grandmaster chess player is walking by this painting, and as he walks by the painting... He stands there for many minutes looking, and he's staring at the painting. And finally, he calls the manager and says, hey, manager, I, I need you to come because there's something very wrong with your painting. The manager says, well, what is it? He says, I need to see the curator. Bring the curator here. He says, sir, we're not bringing the curator to you. He says, there's something very wrong with it. This painting should not be, this shouldn't be here. And so then he calls the, he went to, he calls the curator in. They're worried, is, a, is it a fake? Is it a fraud? Is he like an inspector? And he begins to look. He brings the curator in. He says, look, he says, I'm a grandmaster chess player. He says, this is entitled Checkmate. You're inferring that this man has lost to Satan. He says, but as I look deeper and look more at this, he says, you need to realize something. His king still has one more move. He's not lost. He's actually won. He just doesn't know it. You need to change the title of the painting. So many times we're just like the man on, the, on the, the, the right over here that believes that he's lost, believes that it's all over, not understanding that his king still has one more move. Can I tell you on this Easter Sunday, friends, I don't know what you're going through, 
but the king still has one more move. That's what the resurrection shows us. The king still has one more move. I know you think it's over. I know you think it's done. I know you think there's no hope in the situation. But can I tell you that's what God specializes in. When Satan whispers checkmate in your ear, you can go back to him and say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Because our board's the word of God. As we look at the word of God, we understand because of the resurrection and the history of Scripture, our king always has one more move. Amen? That's the story of Scripture. Think about Moses. God frees a million Israelites from slavery. And Pharaoh says, let them go. And then a little bit later, Pharaoh says, I've had a temporary lapse of, of, of insanity. We've got to get them back. We need them. <laughs> they ran the nation of Egypt. He says, send our biggest army after them and capture them, and they won't come, kill the ones who won't come. So Moses and the Israelites are being chased by the most powerful nation in the world, most powerful army in the world, and they have no way to get through the sea that's in front of them. And Satan would whisper, checkmate. But he didn't know that God told Moses, raise your staff. I, the king still has one more move. And I got to think about this. I thought about when the Israelites were up against the, the wall and the Philistines wanted to destroy them. And the goal of the Philistines was to destroy the Israelites so the seed, so the birth of Christ could never happen. And there was a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath. And nobody would come out to fight him, and time was ticking. Because if they didn't send somebody, or they sent somebody and lost, Israel's defeated. And Satan whispered, checkmate. But he didn't know that God had a little shepherd boy named David who had five smooth stones. The king still had one more move. Amen? As I got to thinking about this message here, I thought about Elisha, and he's making dinner one night, not bothered at all. There's an army outside of his house, and he's just making dinner. He's just, just calm and peaceful. And this little servant boy with him says, man of God, man of God, there's an army going to destroy us. They're surrounded us. And he's just on making dinner. He's not worried. What are you going to do? We're going to be destroyed. And he prays. He says, God, open up his eyes to see what I see and to know what I know. And the Lord opened up that little boy's eyes and he saw the vast army of angels all encamping and surrounding. And he said, there are many more for us than are against us. When Satan whispered, checkmate, guess what? The king still had one more move. And then I had to think about the New Testament. And this is what's beautiful about the gospel. Is that there was these religious people who called this woman in the act of adultery. Most believe that they had framed her with that. That's what religious people do. They love to have the moral higher authority and frame. And so they, they drag her to Jesus. And they say, according to the Jewish law, she must be stoned to death. You're a rabbi, aren't you? She's got to die. Of course, they didn't speak an English accent. They were from the Middle East. But, you know, <laughs> I just imagine them speaking that way, right? And she heard in her head, checkmate, because she knew Jesus obeyed the law. He fulfilled the law. He was perfect in the law. And she knew that this man was sent by God, and she just knew that he would say, no, you're right. The law says she must die. We must stone her to death. Jesus instead stoops down and starts writing in the sand. We don't know what, it, what he wrote. We can, we can pontificate, but we don't know. Because what he wrote is not important. It says that those oldest from the youngest dropped their stones and walked away. He said, the first of you who have sinned, go ahead, go ahead and hit her first. 
That's how you get religious people who always want to have one up on you, right? They're better than you are. Jesus looked at her and lifted her head up at him. He said, go sin no more. The king still had one more move, and that woman had new life to go forward, forgiven by the Lord Jesus. I've come to tell you today, guys, that the king always has one more move, no matter what you're facing. Amen. But here's my fear. Many times we're going to face darkness, and I don't know what, what you're facing now. Some of you have some incredible stories of what you're, you're coming up against. I know that if you're not facing it, you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me now. Don't worry, it's going to happen. I'm not being mean, but Jesus said you're going to have trouble, right? I mean, Jesus said it. Don't look at me like that. He said you're going to have trouble. I didn't say that. And when those things hit, here's my fear. If you don't remember this and you don't walk away remembering this and you forget this, if we don't know the king has one more move, you know what will happen? We'll end up moving in the wrong direction. If you forget that the king has one more move and you're caught in that situation and you're hopeless and full of despair and don't know what to do, if you don't know the king has one more move, you're going to move in the wrong direction. That's what Peter did. Peter went back to his old job of fishing. I mean, Jesus had told him he would rise from the dead. They just weren't listening. Peter went back to what he used to do. The other disciples fled. There was only John, Jesus' mother, and Mary at the cross there. Every, all those people got fed, fed the, the bread. Remember the, the series they did on the feeding the 5,000? None of them were around supporting Jesus. They all went in the wrong direction once they didn't see what they wanted to see. And God did exactly how they wanted him to do it. And when you face darkness, can I tell you what you need to do? Take a note from my son. My son's eight. I remember like as, as he's been growing up, anytime we're in a dark house together and he can't see, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't run off. Maybe you have kids that run off when it gets dark. You know what he does to me? Comes close to me. He wants daddy to hold him. He wants daddy to hold his hand. Why does he do that? Because he knows that dad knows where he's going. Dad's going to keep him safe. And dad will get him to his destination. That's what you and I have to do whenever darkness hits. The right direction is getting close to our Heavenly Father. The right direction is opening up His Word, putting some worship music on, and saying, God, I hurt. I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening, but I do know one thing, Father, that you know where you're going. You'll keep me safe, and you'll get me there if I just stay close to you. And that's what we have to do. My fear is if we don't know the King has one more, one more move, we will end up moving in the wrong direction when those things hit in life. And here's what the resurrection has to, it shows us. I want you to realize this. The resurrection shows us the power of God in dead situations. In those dark, dead situations, it shows us the power of God. Not just to resurrect Jesus' body from the dead, but for your life, can I tell you, when there's a dead situation, there is resurrection power. The, the scriptures say that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me if you're a follower of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And that's what God specializes in. Amen. That's what he specializes in. But here's what we have to do. Because you've got, listen, you've got Monday through Saturday coming up. And I'm not going to be with you every day. Here's what you have to do. Remember, we must remember the resurrection so we don't forget that we have hope. What did Pastor Keith say up here? Don't just celebrate once a year the resurrection. Every day we must remember the resurrection so we don't forget we have hope. What happened uh, 
to the ladies at the tomb. What's the first thing the disciples said? They said, number one, yeah, don't, don't look for him among the dead who's risen. They said, remember what he said? Remember what he said? I want to encourage you, remember the words of the Lord. Remember the scriptures. When you get into a tough time, open the promises of God up. Right? You need to get into, into his book, not the Facebook. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Those old preacher cliche things there. But seriously, when, whenever you're facing those dark times, you cannot forget the resurrection. That's what gives us hope. Death scares humanity. Mankind has not found a way to overcome death yet, right? Everybody has died. And what God did in the resurrection was show us that he had power over the very thing that scares us the most, which is death. And I want to tell you this, not just death, but anytime you face a dead situation, a hopeless situation, a dark situation, there is always hope, amen, in your life. So what is our hope in? I want to share three things with you. First, there's hope in moments on the cross. Roman crucifixion in the first century was the most brutal way to torture somebody. The most brutal way. You were beaten for a whole day before. And some people didn't survive the beatings and the floggings. As a matter of fact, they, they held back on Jesus. Some of them were ripping the flesh off his body. He was unrecognizable. He was beaten so badly. They kept him alive. They want to give him to the cross. Because the cross is a place which you suffocated. Where you hung by your wrist. The heat was there, and you would slowly, slowly suffocate and die. It was so slow that Jesus had not died yet, and they, and they would make sure that he had, was fully dead. It was so slow that when he did die, just to make sure, they, they pierced him. Here's the thing for you and I. There's times in your life you're, you're going to go through the cross, the crucibles of life. There'll be seasons that's painful. And you're just like Christ in a certain way. You're like, Lord, why am I going through this? Christ said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He took on the sin of the world in that moment, right? The wrath of God fully for us so we'd never experience it. There's times you're going to go through seasons. You're wondering, God, what are you doing? Why am I going through this? Why does this hurt so bad? And can I tell you, you have hope in those moments. Because Christ had to hope that his Father was still with him, even though he didn't feel it, and hope that he would get him up from the dead. Can I tell you, you can have hope in your cross moments in life. If you're going through pain, God never wastes pain. God is with you in your pains. And when you're suffering, you can identify with Christ and that Christ says, I know how you feel. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've had the same things done to me. I've been be Christ was crucified and did nothing wrong. Sometimes the same thing will happen to you in your life. The second hope we have is this. We have hope in the empty tombs of our life. Why would you need hope in an empty tomb? Wasn't that like the echelon of the, you know? No, as we said before, the women were not like, whoa, he's risen from the dead, just like the angel said, man, this is great. They were confused and puzzled. Because number one, they never thought he would die. Then number two, it was not on their radar Jesus would get up from the dead. It was, the resurrection was nowhere on their radar, right? And there's sometimes in life when you face the pain of life and you have these hopes, you have these dreams that are dashed and don't turn out like you planned, that sometimes you have the empty tombs where God begins to answer prayers, but it doesn't look like what you've been asking for and what you've been wanting. 
Because what they wanted was a political messiah who would take down Rome, the evil empire. And what they got was a spiritual messiah ready to reconnect them with their heavenly father and help them start the greatest movement in history. I don't know what you're praying for, but sometimes when God starts to answer your prayers, this will be confusing to you because it may not look like what you had planned. And when it doesn't look like what you had planned, the way you had mapped it out, even what you had prayed for, you can have hope because your heavenly father, as I've said before, knows what you need even before you ask him. And he knows more and better what you need than you even think you need. Amen. You can have hope in that. And finally this morning, here's the third hope we can have. Hope that God to bring life out of death. He can bring life out of death. The things that you think are the worst. The things where you think checkmate, it's over. That's when God comes in and says, no, 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 no. The king has one more move. And God can bring life out of death. And just like the empty tomb when Christ rose from the dead, he walked with his disciples for seven miles for, with a couple of disciples on the Emmaus Road. Walking seven miles is a long ways. I mean, if you walk 18 minutes, think about that, seven times 18, you're looking at probably two hours or more walking. That's what they were doing there, talking, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And this guy with them was explaining how Messiah must suffer from the Old Testament. He was carrying them through every book of the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament, telling them. They're like, oh, man, this guy knows a lot. Man, he's really smart. Wonder where he went to school at. And then the guy disappeared, and they stopped, and they said, that was Jesus. The resurrection, that was Jesus. Didn't our hearts burn within us? They didn't recognize him. Matter of fact, when Jesus was in the upper room, they had to see the scars to make sure it was him. Because when God resurrected Jesus, it was his glorified body. One day, we're going to have glorified bodies. You're going to be unrecognizable. When you see me in heaven, you're like, man, your hair looks great, man. You, are you sure you're Pastor Kevin? Because the God knows was short. I heard somebody laugh in the back. You hear that? <laughs> you were short and had bald hair. Man, you're tall and you got, you know, like... <laughs> Jesus was unrecognizable to them. Glorified body. Had to show them the scar just so they would believe. Can I tell you when God brings life out of death, sometimes it's, it's going to be unrecognizable to you. It'll be better than what you ever could imagine. Greater than what you could imagine, but it could be unrecognizable to you. That is not exactly, again, how you planned it. But when God brings life out of death, he shows you his resurrection power in something you thought that was hopeless. And on this Easter Sunday, guys, I, I, I didn't come to just preach an Easter message to you. I've been praying for you this week. I didn't know all who would come, and I believe God has every one of you here by what I call divine appointment. I believe the Lord wants to encourage some of you today to not give up. Maybe you're going through the cross of your life, and it's painful. Maybe you're going through the empty tomb of your life, and you're confused. But I can tell you, you can have hope that he's going to bring life out of death. That's what our God specializes in. Amen? So what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to pray for you guys this morning. Not because I have to pray before I close out, right? It's like some of those preachers, you've got to pray before and after. But I want to pray for you because I know that the struggle is real for a lot of you in here. And I've been praying for you all week. I want to pray with you. But if you're not a believer in here, I want to say this. Maybe you came to church and you've been kind of kicking the tires of Christianity and you're trying to figure out, man, I'm really interested in this Jesus guy. I don't know. Can I just tell you this? Like, Jesus says, come as you are. He wants to change your life. He wants a relationship with you. 
He wants to give you forgiveness of sins. He wants to save you. And I know for many years, I, I kind of just kept myself at arm's distance from Christ and from church because I didn't think I was good enough. And I had a guy in a bathroom at East Carolina University who told me, come as you are, he'll clean you up. And giving my life to Christ was the greatest decision that I'd ever made in my life, guys. Transformed me. He brought life out of death in, in my life. So I want to pray for all the believers in here today in, a, in just a minute, and then I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. If you don't know the Lord, man, this is your chance. Don't leave here today without giving your life to Him. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you do have one more move. That God, it's not checkmate with you. You've never lost a battle. You have never failed, God. And I ask right now for those who are in those seasons of life that feel like a crucible, like a cross situation, for those who are in the empty tombs of life and it's confusing, they don't know what's really happening, even though you're working and moving, I pray today that you would infuse them with faith, Lord. Fill them with faith. Give them courage and encouragement, God, to trust you, to know they can place their hope in you, God. That the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that did that, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. I pray for that encouragement today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Help them to grab close to you, Father, in the time of darkness, that you'll walk them through the season they're in. And as we're praying today, church, whether you're in here physically, you're online today, if you're like, man, yes, I walked away from my faith. I gave up on Christianity. I gave up on a bad version I experienced. I got hurt. And I want to give my life to Christ today. Or maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed what we call this the sinner's prayer. Maybe you've never made that confession of faith. And you say, today is my day. I'm ready for a new start. I'm ready to have purpose in life. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being discouraged. I'm ready for a new life that only the Father can give. If that's you today, and you want to give your life to Jesus, right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God... I need Jesus. I surrender my life to Jesus. I repent of my old life. I turn away from it. I leave it behind. I receive new life today. I receive forgiveness of sins. For I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he is Lord. Today I confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I give my life to you. In your good name that I pray. Amen. Amen.